Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible out loud together, book by book, chapter by chapter. And here we are, Revelation chapter 4. We just made it through the little letters, these little kind of mini letters that were to the seven churches. And that kind of completes, at this point, the first section of the book of Revelation. And now we're moving on to this new section it's a new vision. This is very much like Zechariah when, when he says, you know, then I looked and behold, right? And here, what do you have? You have a door standing open in heaven. Here's where we finally get trumpets and torches and flashes of lightning and rumblings. This kind of sounds like all the stuff we're going to see in the rest of the book. And the big thing, right, I think that you really just really captures the imagination. You got the 24 elders around the throne with the sea of glass and the four living creatures, one like an ox, one like a lion, one like an eagle, one that has the face of a man. What is going on here? The vision just got a lot more interesting. So really cool stuff, though. I mean, because this, this is actually the part where there's, I think there's actually a lot of agreement in a lot of respects on what this stuff means. Um, it's it's good stuff. This isn't scary stuff. Again, this is the Lord Jesus's revelation given to the Apostle John to us to comfort us, especially in times like these. And joining us today, we've got Pastor Jacob Heine, returning pastor at Christ the Rock Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois. Nice, Christ the Rock in Rockford. It's some someone clever came up with that name, right? Good morning, brother. Good to have you back with us. How are you doing? And how are the people of uh, Christ the Rock out there? Well, it's good to be with you again. And we are, I guess we're hanging in there as best we can in the current climate. Uh, yeah. We've been having to do a lot of things differently and moving everything online, just like everybody else. But uh, our people are, are hanging in there. I just spoke with a couple of them this morning who uh, just we're grateful to, to know that the church is still here and that God is still working even when things seem so chaotic sometimes. So uh, right. we are thankful for God's blessing in that. Right. Well, yeah, no, because you guys out in Illinois, you were um, kind of like, like me and everyone out here in California. I mean, we were some of the first states to go under this uh, stay-at-home order. So you've been kind of doing this for a little while already. Yeah, we've been now this stay-at-home shelter in place for about, I want to say, 10 days. I've lost track of time, I'll be honest with you. Right, Uh, right. But... But yeah, we've been in it now for several days, at least, you know, more than a week. And, um, you know, people are adjusting. Thankfully, there are some things returning to the grocery stores and people are able to, to get the, the things they need, which is good. And we just keep praying that God uh, God would slow this uh, virus and, and stop it. So, Yeah, amen. And in, in the midst of everything that is crazy, like you were saying, where it seems like time is just like, you know, out the window every day is like a whole new world that you're waking up to. It's really comforting to to take a look at this this section of scripture, uh, scripture in general, but even this section where you had this just real big bird's eye view here um, that just kind of expands our horizons and and shows you know hey look there's all this this big master plan going on here and even like the the craziness along the way right isn't going to stop it and you certainly have that in chapter four here right just this. Um, I mean, the, the 24 elders, the four creatures, it just speaks to the, the massive scope of God's people, that this is this this plan that's been in motion since the beginning of creation. Like, you can trace all the history of God's people, and this is just the latest episode 
of it. It's not like we're in uncharted territory. It's not like God doesn't have a plan for what's going on right now. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's when I was reading these, uh, this, this chapter today or this week as I was getting ready, it was, there's a lot of comfort in there. It, we know Revelation has some things in there that are, as you pointed out at the beginning, really kind of scary and frightening, but this one is so comforting and, and so wonderful as we get to see uh, that vision of, of heaven and God's glory in it and to know that he is in control and has been since the beginning and even before the beginning. And that's, uh, that's a comfort for us anytime, but especially now. Amen. Well, let's turn to the text. It's a shorter chapter, 11 verses, but because of the massive scope of everything, I think we're still going to have plenty to chew on today. As we get started, would you say a prayer for us, for everyone listening, and just for everybody out there um, at this time? Of course. Uh, we, we do so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Most gracious Amen. God, for this day, we are thankful. Uh, we know that every day is in your hands, that this is the day you have made. And so we rejoice, even when sometimes it's hard to rejoice. We, uh, we see around us uh, death and destruction. We see hardship and, and calamity. But, Lord, you are our God. And even though uh, the earth shakes and the mountains move and kingdoms totter, we know that you are God over all, and you call us to be still and to listen to you. So help us to do that now, to calm our fears and our anxieties, to spend these moments with you, to hear your voice speak comfort and joy and love into our lives so that we can live with you and for you. In Jesus, in whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. You know, as, as you were praying, you know, just talking about, you know, things shaking and tottering and being unstable, right? Um, I was I was just immediately thinking with a reflection that we had um, at our church here out in Irvine at St. Paul's. We've been doing a sermon series on different perspectives leading up to the Passion, and this last uh, this last Wednesday we were talking about Peter, and um, and so we were talking about you know the contrast of how you know his name you know means rock right thinking rock solid steady yep. you know firm foundation unmoving right, um, but then the depiction that you actually get in the gospel and that kind of paradox of the church has, you know, made, made firm and on Christ. And yet we're shaky at the same time, right? When you, when you look at it the other way. And uh, of course that yeah, just the name of your church as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, very, uh, yeah, just a, a fitting reflection, I think at, at, at these times. Um, and speaking of Peter, uh, I think we are going to talk a little bit today about the apostles um, when we were taking a look at some of the symbolism here. Uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's just look at the first, um, maybe just like the first verse even, because I think that just, um, or maybe maybe we'll take the first two verses here, because we can just get the ball rolling then, and then I'm going to try to get your thoughts on um, just a, a couple of these things here, because this really does feel like it's a transition point. Um, so it's good to kind of consider like, you know, have we totally left all that seven churches stuff behind? Is, is there a connection? Uh, those sorts of things. But let's just read. A couple of verses here, get the ball rolling. So this is Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. All right. So, uh, I mean, really just a very, 
a quick transition, like, uh, you know, all of a sudden, right. You know, at once, right. Um, very similar to the way that like the gospel of Mark narrates, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a, a new vision of some kind. Um, it's, he sees like two things quickly. It's first this door. Um, and then, then there's a, a throne with someone on the throne and you get this uh, mention of being in the spirit uh, a second time. Now we saw that back in chapter one. So, I mean, what's what's going on? Is this like a, a new vision? Is it part of the same vision? Is it a part of the same uh, in the spirit experience? Or did this happen later? Like, what, what, what do you think? How is this supposed to connect to what we've read so far? Well, and, you know, a lot of a lot of debate on that. I think, you know, those, this is a pretty straightforward text. In some ways, there's certain things in here that a lot of people uh, have taken many different ways. And, and we look at this, I think, um, yeah, I was looking at, at uh, the wonderful uh, Sainted Louis Brighton's commentary on this, and, and he translates right. it's just a slight different on that. He says, you know, after these things, and you have to ask the question, okay, what, what things are we talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, is this after his vision and his call in chapter one? Is it after uh, getting the, the message to the seven churches? And I think, you know, we could split hairs on that, but I th- my guess is that we're saying yes after both of those. This is kind of a continuation of what he's already seen. So he's had his call, he's heard the message to the seven churches, and now um, he's being given the vision of, of heaven, the, the comfort. Like, oh, you know, he- here's what's going to happen to the seven churches. Here's what your role is going to be. This is, you know, and there's some overwhelmingness to that, I think, probably for John would be my guess. And yet now he gets that vision of heaven. And uh, he sees the door, and right when God earlier, when there was a door, God, you know, says, "I stand at the door, and knock." And those that open, He comes and dines with them and eats with them. And there's a beautiful right. imagery of the wedding feast, that, you know, that happens there. And but and we know that Jesus says that He is the door. So you know, mm-hmm. kind of what's happening here. But here, it's all there's almost temple imagery because of the connection probably with Isaiah and his vision in, in six and Ezekiel and Daniel, you know, when there's a door, there's a temple and he's being welcomed in and he's called in. He's do, he doesn't just stand outside. He's called in to see the, right. the wonderful vision. Um, and then there's that question about being in the spirit, which I think is a different word or the, the, uh, nuance of the word is a little bit different from before where in John chapter or in revelation chapter one, uh, John yeah. is worshiping in the spirit like any of us would through our baptism. But here it almost seems like he's in the spirit or being taken up, whether physically or spiritually. It's it's hard to tell, but almost like Paul references, you know, being caught up to the, the what, second heaven or I think I have that reference. Yeah, wrong, but you know, yeah, yeah. Talking about but, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, that's right. That's right. Paul says something very, uses very similar language, right? That, that yeah, it, it's not, it's not the, um, because this is like the kind of, uh, he, he like became in the spirit or something like that. Um, it's it's hard to kind of translate that eloquently, but but right. But then Paul uses something like you know uh, you know caught up. I think is I think the standard translation for it. But yeah yeah yeah. No, th- thank you. I mean I think um th- the first thing I want to just say is yeah I, I think that we should see that there is continuity and a connection there to the stuff that was proceeding. That even though this is okay, this is a clearly some kind of transition. Just as you were saying, this door stuff, hey, we were just talking about the door stuff, right? I mean, like when we're looking at the letter to the church in Philadelphia, right? I mean, how did um, 
the Lord Jesus describe himself, right? Like he's the one with the key of David, you know, who opens the door, right? Opens the door, no one can close it. Who closes the door, no one can open it, right? So we were just talking about that. And then, right, in that last letter to the uh, church, what was that last one? Laodicea, just as you were saying, right, that, you know, the knocking, right? And we talked about that, that this is, this is what he's saying to uh, the church, right? This isn't like uh, what he's, you know, kind of throwing out there to just, you know, r- random people who do not know the gospel. This is like, hey, look, like, you know, he's coming and, and knocking on your church door, <laughs> um, but will will we be ready? Will will we be, you know, like uh, vigilant, right? So he's he's just been talking about this door stuff. So um, very, very fitting, and it gives you a little bit of a sense of Okay, we haven't totally changed topics here. It's not like that. That the first part was like you know, first revelation, and this is like second revelation. Like they are uh, really really tied together well. And uh, then to your point um, about the you know be, being caught up or, or um, you know becoming in the spirit, I, I think it's a. Uh, you're right that the, there, there's a little bit of a difference in that the first time you have the mention of the Lord's Day. Um, whereas you don't have that here, you just have the word immediately, right? Um, but I think that what it should tell us is that this is all probably happening like at the Lord's on the Lord's day still, um, and that this is like just immediately after what preceded. And then, as you said, I don't think we're supposed to take this as like you know, like oh, this is like a necessarily like a, like a, like a whole separate experience or something like that. But it, but to the point, they're different locations. Right, like, because before, mm-hmm. right, where, where, where was, where was John? He was well on the island of Patmos, right, which is not the same thing as Asia Minor, <laughs> like with Laodicea and Philadelphia and Sardis, right? So it, it's like he's, um, in some sense, whether it's as you said, whether it's like an out of body thing or it's just kind of more on the visionary level, like whatever it is, I don't think we need to know or even ask. But the point is, right, like at least in his mind. He at first was moved over to Asia, and now he's being moved up into heaven. So he's seeing things that are going on in different places than just the little island that he's on. He's not in Kansas anymore. Exactly in what sense? Hard to say. But uh, the point, though, right, is that the perspective by God's power has shifted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's— I. I love that, you know, we, the book is Revelation, and so often I hear right. people put the, an S on there, right, on a, which isn't supposed to be. This is one vision. This is one uh, whole vision that John sees, and so we have to see the connections between each episode and each section. Yeah, there's clearly some, some changes in scenery and changes of, of perspective and spots, but it's definitely one vision, um, and, and we have to see the continuity there as well. Right. So, so, you know, we're, we're changing our perspective. Right. But the thing is, we're still, we're still seeing and talking about doors, right? (laughs) Like we're, we're Mm -hmm. still, we're still talking about, you know, like the thrones, right. I mean, and the one on the throne. And as we go on here, then we're, we're going to see a similar in some ways description of, of the person who's on the throne then it's not going to be totally different from um, the description we saw in chapter one let's go ahead and read it though and because once we do we'll see that there's there is one thing that is new right away this this uh, these 24 elders and that's that's uh, the really fun thing i think we want to talk about before the break here so reading just the next little part here maybe through verse six and he who sat there had the appearance of 
jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. All right, so that's the middle of of verse 6, actually, but let's just go ahead and pause there. The ESV um, kind of puts the paragraph marker right there in the middle of verse 6. So there's a lot of, you know, speaking of these continuities, right, like there are actually a lot of them. Um, Everything, I feel like everything that's mentioned, right, like has actually already been seen in one respect, like the white garments. We've been talking about that in the the letters to the seven churches. Uh, The crowns, right? I mean, like earlier on, um, there was mention in one of the conclusions, right, to, to the one who conquers, I will give the crown, right? Um, so like all of these things are are like things that actually we've kind of been set up for in the seven letters um, to the seven churches. I mean, even even the, the seven spirits of God and the seven torches, that's not unlike, right, the, the seven lampstands, right? But the thing that's, that is pretty striking is that there's 24 thrones with 24 elders, and um, well, I don't know. I mean, the number 24 doesn't come up that often in Scripture, but, well, what do you think? Well, yeah, and it, isn't that an interesting thing that 24 doesn't come up often, but we certainly have 12s that come up quite a bit um, yep. and the importance of 12. And so here, you know, if we're, we're looking at that, uh, those numbers, we get two 12s. Um, and, you know, I know there's a lot, there's some, a little bit of debate on, on two, but typically, you know, one of the things I've always pointed out with people is, two, we have two natures of Christ. We think of his humanity and his divinity. It, it points us in that direction, as does, you know, certainly other things as well are set in twos. But, you know, here the, 20, the 12 certainly uh, comes into play. We have 12 tribes of Israel. We have 12 disciples. Um, there's the 12 uh jewels on the breastplate of the high priest. And here we get a couple of those that were already mentioned when we looked at the, uh, the one God who's sitting on the throne. You know, we can't see him in his glory, but we can see him through the stones. Um, just like looking at the sun, you can't look directly at the sun, but if you look at it through something precious or, or something else, you can see it, you know? And so, you know, I know there's a lot of debate, uh, just reading up on this, you know, what, what, who are the, the 24? Some say they're, um, you know, starting with Abel and going, or uh, Seth and going forward and all sorts of other uh, martyrs. Sometimes there's martyrs starting with Abel um, and mm. going forward from there. But it really seems to appear that this is probably a reference to both the Old and the New Testament, uh, the combination of those who look to Christ, either as the fulfillment of the prophecy, the Old Testament tribes of Israel and how they were uh, there to be a beacon and a blessing to the world, and then also the 12 apostles who were sent out to proclaim Christ had come and was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And so around the throne, you have the church, as it were, um, represented by uh, those from the Old Testament and those from the New Testament. Right. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, like, there, there is true. <laughs> Even the stuff that seems like it's relatively straightforward, that doesn't stop people from having 
very different interpretations and there's a, you know, a million out there. And when you do look at the breadth of them all, right. Like it, it's just almost to the point where you're like, just don't even try that. Like, you know, you're never going to get anywhere if you try to look at all of the different interpretations and then try to like, you know, deduce which one's the best. Cause I mean, there's just, I mean, a, a million, I mean, every man has come up with one. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But to what you were saying though, uh, I, I do think you're right that the, there is a, pre, a pretty straightforward one, which is not without scriptural precedent. Uh, it's one of my favorite Bible verses, actually. Um, it's going back to Ephesians chapter 2. So we've been talking about a few times all the connections between Revelation and Paul. Um, like, you know, it's, yeah, it's this John here, but it's not like John is, sometimes people talk about the Apostle John, like he was just like, I don't know, he, he's the really spiritual one, and he had gnarly visions, and so he just talks about everything very differently. But I mean, he is an apostle and seems like actually in a lot of ways, the apostles talk very similarly. (laughs) And so you look at Ephesians chapter two and what does it say, right? It says um, in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so, uh, and of course, the rest of the, those verses are very good too. But like, just the idea, citizens, right? <clears throat> Members of the household. Like, we're going to talk about this idea of citizenship of a heavenly Jerusalem, right? That that's the same stuff that Paul talks about that we're going to see here in Revelation. And what's it say? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. And hey, just like you were saying, how many apostles? How many prophets? Um, you know, like if you if you kind of go back and kind of take prophets as like Old Testament figures. You know, go back and it's like, hey, 12 pops up a lot. There are literally 12 minor prophets. Um, there are literally 12, um, you know, sons of Jacob, right, who have the 12 tribes. It seems like a pretty clear reference to, as you were saying, 12 and 12 Old and New Testament people of God. Yeah. And when you look at Scripture, too, who gets crowns? Uh, you know, some people try and put this as uh, maybe even the angels. Angels don't get crowns. Uh, God's people get crowns. Uh, we receive the crown of, of victory through Christ. And we'll see that come up again towards the end um, as the elders uh, worship what happens to the crowns. Um, and there's certainly a connection that goes between those uh, throughout Scripture and, and what's happening here in Revelation. Well, and that, and that's a really good point, too, that like you, you do, even as we're reading this, you kind of have to kind of sneak uh, and take a peek ahead as you're reading all this stuff, right? Because, you know, you're looking at this vision, and you're just like, no, hang on. Um, but it's really important to see, like, what well, what ends up happening, right? Um, and then in the next chapter, right, they're going to be singing. They're going to be singing this song that we, sounds a lot like what you have in church, right? The Agnus Dei, right? Um, and we're going to have them all bowing down uh, before the the lamb in the throne in the center, right? Um, as, as we go ahead, too, um, in chapter 7, there's going to be this description of each of the 12 tribes and 12,000 from each tribe, right? And so in that context of what you see coming in chapters, um, you know, 5 and 7, all of that's really strongly pointing to this idea, hey, look, we're supposed to be taking this as you got, you got 12 from the Old Testament, whether you kind of think of that as like 12 um, ancestors or 12 prophets, um, or and then the New Testament, the 12 apostles. Um, la- last thing on that, though, because this is just a weird question that occurred to me. So, I mean, if John the Apostle is seeing this, then who's on the 12th apostle throne? 
I, I somebody asked me that recently, and <laughs> I was I, I kind of took a step back and thought, you know, that's a really great question. Um, is he seeing himself? <laughs> well, you know, or you know, is somebody else? They, I mean, then they ask the question. Yeah. Okay, so is it Paul as the apostle, or is it? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, oh my lord, my brain just stopped. <laughs> but you know, they replaced Judas, right? Um, right, and, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, Matthias, yeah. Matthias, thank you. I'm like, I know it. I can't come up with it. Um, this is what happens when you're working every day. Uh, yeah, yeah, so right. Matthias. So which one is it? And I said, I don't know, I, and I don't think it really matters. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because in the end, it's it's the church, and, and that's what it represents. These are the how the church spread through uh, Christ's life, death, and resurrection through the apostles and all those that went out and from there. And so, uh, on, you know, on the last day when we see Christ, we'll get that answer. But right now, I'm, I don't have a good one for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, I appreciate you rolling with a, a weird kind of left field sort of thing. Um, everybody, hang on. We're going to look at the rest of the chapter here when we get back, taking a short break here on Thy Strong Word, looking at Revelation chapter 4. Be right back. Friday afternoon, we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. We've produced four soundbites for you to choose from, and you can listen and vote in advance at facebook.com slash issues etc. The listener with the best vote wins an Issues Etc. t-shirt, tote bag, pen, bumper sticker, and notepad, and an ad crucem pewter dove and shell baptism keepsake. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. The plagues described in the book of Exodus show us what the wrath of God looks like. However, they also show the lengths to which God will go to save his people. These signs of God's power are labors of love that seek to turn hardened hearts toward him. Hear Pastor Ryan Tinetti this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. For years on Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8 a.m. worship comes from Peter Church in St. Louis, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Dennis Castens. Our 1045 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Tim Ostermeyer. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 4 today, a really cool chapter. You've got the 24 elders around the throne of God, and then the thing we're about to take a look at, four living creatures. And, uh, I mean, that's just very interesting, right, because I feel like at this point we're all primed 
hey, four living creatures, that sounds scary. Um, <laughs> because we've looked at Daniel and we looked at Zechariah and, and four, four creatures is like never a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, but maybe this time it is, which would be pretty striking. Um, so very, very cool section that's coming up here. And today we are joined by our guest, Pastor Jacob Heine, pastor at Christ the Rock Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois, uh, talking a little bit about that, like reflecting on uh, Peter, the church, you know, the foundation. We just looked at Ephesians 2, right? You know, the, the foundation, you know, the rock, right? Um, lots of good things, lots of good connections. I um, I, I went ahead and uh, was very cruel as a host and asked an oddball question to our poor guest, and he did a fantastic <laughs> job handling it. So if you would like to try the same, I, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you may give a call for us, <laughs> for me or Pastor Heine. You can call at 1-800-730-2727 if you're listening live, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. I mean, I mean, about that question, though, uh, that was just honestly something that I was I was thinking about um, as I was reading it over again. And I, I think that actually one thing you said that, you know, is he seeing himself? I think that's actually not as absurd as it sounds, because, I mean, first of all, we just got to, like, stop and kind of appreciate. So technically speaking, right, he wasn't seeing um you know, the, the 12 ancestors of the 12 tribes, like the 12 sons of Jacob, and he wasn't seeing the 12 apostles. He was seeing 12 elders, right? I mean, th this is a this is a vision, and we're going to see in the next chapter, right, he's going to see a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Does that mean that that's what the resurrected Lord Jesus really looks like? Right? Like, n no. <laughs> I mean, it's a vision, okay? So he is seeing just 24 elders, um, but is it possible that like one of those elders in in a sense kind of represents himself um that's actually i don't i don't think that's that's crazy um to, to say that um though of course you, you bring up the the good point that it, it's sort of like well there's you know how how many tribes of uh how many sons of jacob are there really right and like how many um you know apostles are there really because when you go up to you know adding paul and matthias we get to 13 now right and so uh you know it's like and I, and I think that actually kind of in the end to your point maybe you're not supposed to like kind of see like a name on each of the thrones like like hey this one's uh peter's because it's got his name on it right um and it's more like this is kind of like the idealized number that that kind of is the way of representing the the whole the 12 apostles the group right um not so much that like any one of them is really particularly in view, which is, I think what you have in, in Revelation chapter seven, because we're going to see the same thing when we get there, you have 12 tribes, but if you look, one of them's missing, right? Um, and then one of the names is slightly off, you might say. Um, but there's a way of referring to the group, the whole, that, you know, the, the individuals kind of, they don't, they don't go away, but, they do say maybe go out of focus because that's not the point. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, probably a good way to put it. And I think, you know, for John, there may have been comfort to see himself up there, to know that, you know, what, what he's seen and what he's doing and, and his role, um, God is honoring and blessing just as we see ourselves in Christ uh, through our yeah. baptism and, and through the word, word proclaimed, there's comfort in that. Uh, yeah. So for John, probably, uh, but as you say, you know, there, you know, we can look at all those little details and they're, they're fascinating and they're fun. But when we look at the grand picture, you know, the, the point is, is, you know, 
here the church is around the throne. Um, and that's, that's the important part to remember, uh, represented through the 12 tribes and the, uh, the 12 apostles. And so what a, what a joy that is for even us, you know, to, to know that here we have these, you know, the church represented um, in, in heaven before the throne of right. God. Yeah, amen. Um, we do have, before we leave this section here, we have um, Larry calling on the phone with a comment or question about verse 4 here, about these uh, these 24 thrones and elders. Morning, Larry. Good to hear from you. Good what morning. do you got for us this morning? Good good, good morning, pastors. Um, just on verse 4, a couple thoughts. You know, as you further your study into Revelation, we're going to run across the number 144,000. Which is right. representative, which is representative of the church. So if right. we if we cube twelve, we get to one hundred forty four. So mm-hmm. we're we're dealing with twenty four here, which the word elder is still still viable in the church today. So I'm mm-hmm. looking at our representatives of the royal priesthood and people saved by God. I I think that kind of fits yeah. verse four, and then in verse yeah. six. And in verse 6, where it says, And there before the throne was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Seems to me like a sea of glass. I mean, can you envision that? It's just perfectly still. It's uh, perfect calm. Jesus Christ offers perfect calm through the gospel. And he did the same thing at the Sea of Galilee. So those are my two comments. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. Yeah, here, um, you ought to ask like, your thought here too, Pastor Heine. But um, yeah, we almost neglected to talk about the the glassy sea, right? I mean, like it's, I mean, what a serene picture, right? Um, you know, I, it, that's going to come up again in Revelation, um, like chapter 15, I think. But isn't isn't that like a like a term like in in one of our hymns? But I mean, it's just like a picture, um, just like Larry was saying, of like total serenity. Like, you know, this is this is the calming of of the storm right this is um well, we're going to see it later in revelation that um he's actually going to say the sea was no more right so this idea of getting rid of the sea getting rid of the waves getting rid of the the ups and downs and the and the chaos right because the sea was a symbol of chaos um in semitic cultures and in and in the scriptures generally speaking right i mean the, one of the beasts is going to emerge later from the sea, a place of chaos. So the idea that all the chaos, all the undulations, the ups and downs, that's gone. And all you have is the constancy and the peace of God. What a what a serene vision for us at, in these times. Yeah, I think, and I'm glad that got brought up because I was thinking about that a little bit over the break of, yeah, I remember in seminary and learning about water, right, and the chaos that comes from water um, and how that's typically symbolized in a lot of places that water is destructive. And you look at the flood, right? Uh, the water comes and destroys uh, everything. It's, it's destructive. It's a chaotic force. Um, God sends the world and the flood back to chaos. And yet, you know, we get Jesus, right? Shut up. Be still calm down and he calms the storm and it becomes, you know, smooth. And here we get the same thing in the presence of God. uh, We get the, the assurance of peace and grace and hope. Um, And, and, 
you know, if we want to connect this back, you know, we, we've got two references almost to the flood. We get the sea, which yeah. now is calm and still, and then we had the rainbow, and seeing the rainbow is the promise of God's covenant grace for his people. He won't destroy the world this way again. He will remember his people and, and show compassion. Uh, and so, you know, here we, we almost bookend this 24 elders section, the church, with the reminder of God's grace. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it really, it really is serene. Uh, yeah, I think that the, the, the story of the flood, of course, like really ties into that idea well. And, and of course, the reason why the flood, um, the, the symbolism, um, and, and the significance there, because all these stories, right, um, you know, even when they are like narrating historical events, just like we saw with the seven churches, they're being told in a way that represents even more than the historical details, right? Um, like it, it's like no accident, for instance, like in the flood narrative that like Noah's name is Noah. It's like, you know, God has, I, I don't know, some people kind of put it as like God has a sense of humor, but like it's, you know, like, like there's something providential about the way that all these things line up. Right. And, and so um, the, the big thing I think is in, in Genesis chapter one. Right. Because, I mean, how is the beginning described? It's described as chaos. It's yeah. described as, I mean, this uh, abyss. Right. And, and there's something watery about the description, right? It says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and, and there was this great wind. So you have this picture of, like, waves and undulations and ups and downs, right? Chaos, right? Um, but then what happens, right? Th- then God speaks, right? And and he names it sea, right? I mean, like, what, on day three, I think it gets its name, right? Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the name sea, right? It doesn't like uh, come into order until day three, and that's when it's really created. And so, I mean, really, it's creation language—the idea of God taking chaos and putting it into order—and um, that, that's why I think it is such a powerful image. And um, yeah, and it's in it's in Him. Um, it's an LSB five hundred seven, right? Holy, holy, holy! That line, Lamb. Holy, holy, holy! All the saints adore Thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, which wert and art and evermore shalt be. Um, one of my favorite verses ever, um, maybe half because of the word wert, um, <laughs> because our archaic past tense is amazing. But, um, but, but no, but just the idea of that. I mean, there's the constancy, right? The, the, the glassy sea and God just, this is how it's always going to be him who was, who is, who is to come. Yeah, and uh, and what a beautiful connection of that to this passage, I think, is, and we're going to see that come up as we get through uh, towards the end of this uh, chapter. What what beautiful imagery that hymn is for us in the presence of the throne room of God. Yeah, amen. Well, let's go ahead and press on here. Um, so this is we got halfway through verse six. Um, so right after the mention of the sea of glass, like crystal, here's the second half of six, six uh, B you could say. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature, like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man and the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was 
and is and is to come. All right, just let's pause there for right now. Um, and, and this is just, I mean, I mean, it's, it's basically just the hymn, right? <laughs> Pretty much that we're just looking at here. It's just, I mean, the hymn is, is really cool because it is just basically taking um, Revelation 4 and setting it to music. But these creatures, right? Like I was saying, uh, hang on a second. When you have four creatures, especially with these sorts of descriptions, like, you know, um, like like a lion, right? Like an eagle. I mean, these represent really bad things elsewhere in scripture, right? Like they represent the, the powers of the world that, um, you know, oppress God's people and bring violence and destruction, right? But here they're worshiping God. So what's going on with these four living creatures? Yeah, a great question. And uh, I can't help but read passages like this. And I, I hear the voice of uh, my one of my seminary professors, Jeff Gibbs, say, you know, when you see an angel, you'll fill your pants. Um, you know, the, the description of these creatures are, is so uh, frightening. You know, we think of the little cherubim, and yet, you know, you wonder about those shepherds on the hillside. Why were they so terrified? Right. Well, one, it showed up in the middle of the night, and two, if it looked like that, I'd be terrified too. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, you know, what's going on with with these? And I think there's beauty, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, when they show up in other places in Scripture, there there's death that comes with them, there's destruction. Um, we're going to see the angel go out from the throne of God later in Revelation to to bring plagues and other things on the earth. And uh, and so there, there's definitely fear here, but we're reminded that all of creation is under God's control, that even the right. angels, you know, fall in worship, even the, the ones that are sent for destruction still worship uh, around the throne of God. And these four evidently have a special place. They're closest to the throne. They're uh, seen maybe even by the description to be closer than the the thrones, as it were, that they they have a very special place here in the midst of the throne. And right. you know, what do they you know what do they represent? Who are they? You know, again, a lot of commentators, a lot of scriptures, we've assigned the different faces to the gospels. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and representing different things. Some people have tried to to put uh, you know other connotations in them. I think I like the uh, the description of the gospels as the pillars of the church. Uh, but mm -hmm. we also have God saying the the you know the four winds. Four comes up a lot to describe the earth, the four corners of the earth, the four winds of the earth, um, and how God holds all creation. Uh, together and here we have the the different faces the the ox the eagle the the man the lion we get the beasts of the field the the domestic beasts the the human creatures and the birds of the air which are taking us back to Genesis chapter one in creation and all yeah. of this is under God's control and God's care and God's love and all creation we know on the last day even those under the earth will fall down and worship the Lamb. Right. Well, yeah, thank you. A lot of really good thoughts there. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, yes, when, we, when, you, when you look elsewhere, like in Daniel, and you got the descriptions of, of those four beasts, right? Um, one representing Babylon, and one representing Persia, and, you know, like one representing Macedonian Empire and the rest, right? Um, you know, bad things, right? In Zechariah, you got the four horns, right? Bad things, right? But um, as you were saying, Think about the number four, and in in Zechariah we saw it left and right. Um, it, it's a re it's a way of representing like that that common description that you have in um, 
I mean, not even just in scripture, like, but in a lot of poetry and a lot of literature, even outside of scripture, like the, the four corners, the four winds, like the four points on the compass, right? Um, it's, it's our kind of north, south, east, west. It's a way of describing the, the totality of creation. And, and I think, um, to, to your point, looking at the, the way that these things look, right? I mean, you've got one that looks like, you know, a man, uh, one that looks like a, you know, a bird, right? One that looks like, um, you know, you've got like, you know, like a lion and an ox, right? Those are like, you know, beasts. Um, I mean, I mean, so like the, the, the lion would be like a wild animal. The ox would be a domestic animal, right? So you got, so you got wild beast, domestic beast, man, eagle, bird, right? This is a, a way of kind of describing all sorts of life. And isn't that interesting that it's a way, um, the, the very interesting description, right? Because unlike um, even like in Daniel or something like that, they are described as for uh, living creatures, which is, um, I mean, it's, I mean, it's sort of redundant almost, right? It's like, if we're talking about four creatures doing stuff, we'll assume that they're alive, right? You don't, usually have to say like hello this is my living dog max right you know like you can just leave that adjective out right but i yep. think the mention of life i think speaks to your point it, it does make sense to see this as these things represent the totality of creation itself so don't go and think that that the 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 goal of of creation right is just that the elders will will worship god it's not just that, you know, the, the 12 tribes and the church will worship God, but ultimately, and this is like Paul, right, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that this is a vision of the entirety of creation, the whole universe worshiping God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what I see in here uh, uh, as well. And the beautiful uh, hymn they sing, right, the holy, holy, holy and I love the second line of that. I mean, not that I don't love the first line, but the, the beauty of it. He, the one who was, is, and is to come, the, the coming one, the one who was before all things, who is now and will be forever, um, you know, holds all creation in his hands. And so all creation worships him. Amen. So, I mean, it really is, um, I, I mean, just and, and combined, you know, with, we already talked about this, like the glassy sea idea of, you know, God in creation, right? I mean, isn't that something that just by just even seeing like the the glassy sea, it's like th that's almost kind of like, and we're going to see it more in Revelation, like almost like the first three days of creation right there, right? Like like the bringing of like the, the sky and the sea and the firmament and, and day and night, right? All, all these things into order. And there, um, then uh, you have the last three days of, of creation, um, you know, the work of God, being symbolized here in, in the different aspects of the living creatures. I mean, it really is just like a, just a sweeping, like from Genesis to Revelation kind of moment, like just everything. Uh, and then as you said, past, present, future, it's just, it, it's so expansive. Like there's nothing that's being left out here. This is, this is a cosmic perspective that includes absolutely everything. There is no like, oh, then, then there's this non-religious stuff over here that we're not talking about or like, oh, there's this, you know, other stuff that doesn't have anything to do with religion or faith. Like, no, all of that stuff too, all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what a joy that is to know that I love Jesus's words on uh, the Palm Sunday, right? If I keep the disciples from, uh, from praising the rocks will cry out. I mean, that's yeah. what we get here. You know, the rock, yeah. even creation will worship. Right. 
Well, okay, so let's continue then and look at the rest of the chapter and, and just lay this all out here. So um, this is continuing this praise. So you get these these four um, living creatures who day and night, right, never cease to say. I mean, really all, all the, the creation, right, Genesis language here. Um, and then here it is in verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So, yeah, just the, the, the hymns continue, right? And it's, is it any wonder why we use this stuff in the divine service, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the, we, we together worship around the throne with all those that have gone before and those that uh, will come and the, the whole creation. And I love to point that out to people. You know, when, we, when I talk about different parts of the, of the service, why do we do them or why is this here? What does this mean? And to point out, you know, it's, we're not just worshiping alone when we do this. We're together with the saints throughout the world. We're together with saints throughout time. And we're together with creation. Creation worships. Um, and what a beautiful picture that is when you stop and you realize that, you know, me and my congregation here, you know, we've got, you know, 200 that come to worship on a weekend, the, the congregation over on the other side of town that has, you know, 30 that shows up in the, the mega church, you know, on the other side of the country that's got 3,000 showing up. It doesn't matter because we're all worshiping together. And what a beautiful picture that is to know. Right. Well, and, and it really is, um, I mean, it, it's something because I guess, you know, you, you have this idea of, and, and, and I feel like this is mentioned a lot, the idea that we're, we're with you know, the Christians who have, um, and the people of God who have come before us, right? And that, that idea of, and, and people talk about that in terms of like you know, the communion of saints, like they'll mention that, right? Or, um, you know, like the idea of just, you know, just, I mean, again, like the, uh, with all, with all saints day, actually, right? So they're back to the saints idea, right? So mm-hmm. you have that, but the, the picture though, I mean, if, if, you, if you take it, you've got the 24, but there's more than that, right? Like, it's not even just the people of God. Like, I mean, as if, like, the, just the people of God, like, that's a small thing, right? But, like, even beyond that, it really is the entirety of creation. I mean, that's, I mean, and that's, uh, I, I think C.S. Lewis, um, you know, and some of, some of his stuff has been criticized, perhaps, for going too big on certain aspects of this. But there's this idea that, I mean, even those who do not wish to worship God and who, I mean, despise and, and mock and, um, and and all the rest, just by by living and breathing and doing what they do, I mean, like all of creation in, in some way is actually honoring and giving glory to God. Like anytime anyone has any kind of intelligent insight of any kind, I mean, how is that not giving glory to the Logos, who is the source of all rationality and speech, right? Any Anytime that anyone has any display of strength or craftsmanship, right, regardless of like what uh, faith they confess with their mouths, like how is that not giving glory to God the Creator, right? I mean, and so in all these ways, I mean, of course, do we want um, people to to be part of the people of God, the 24 on the thrones? Like, well, yes, right? 
But even aside from that, our worship really is with all of creation, like wittingly or not. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love that, right? So the scientist who doesn't believe in God but is working on a cure for this virus, uh, by doing so is going to give glory, and God's going to bring glory to himself out of it. Um, and, and what a beautiful picture that is. Include, and then for us who are you know, believers, we bring glory to God by our lives and how we, we love God and we love our neighbor and we take care of each other. Um, our worship is, is part of that. Our life is part of that. And, you know, I, I don't want to miss this point either. You know, I know we're, we're getting close on time here, but the, the beauty of all those 24 elders sitting around the throne, bowing down to worship and casting their crowns before the throne, realizing that they sit here not because of their own power, not because of their own goodness, not because of who they are, but what Christ has done for them. Um, and so though all creation worships, they understand their place just as we understand our place, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. Yeah, no, no, certainly, right? Like, And that's a good way of putting it, right? That it's not even that, like, they are somehow, like, better than the rest of all of creation. I mean, really, when you just look at the description, I mean, what what seems more, like, powerful and, and more frightening, right? I mean, uh, the four living creatures, I mean, they look like seraphim, right, with their six wings, right? Um, but, right, it's just that, that that's really, it's the submission of it, right? It's not that, like, oh, hey, look, these guys have crowns, so they must be better. It's like, hey, look, they know what to do with them. <laughs> they don't mm-hmm. just let them sit on their heads. They know that the purpose of a crown is to lay it down before the throne, right? I mean, and it's it's th- these words here, like, worthy are you, our Lord and God. They know what they're supposed to do with their mouths, right? Um, I mean, it's it really is that 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 what's what's superior, if you're going to use a word like that, is that that they know that they are inferior and they're acting accordingly. That's that's really well put. Yeah. Absolutely. And what a, a beautiful picture it is in that hymn, uh, you know, that worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive all glory and honor and power. You, you created all things on account of you, all things exist. And here we are back to creation. Who holds creation um, and, create, and what does creation worship? It worships the God who made it all. We are creatures and he is the creator. Amen. Um, maybe just like half a minute left. Just um, any other like thoughts here as we're kind of zooming out, looking back on this chapter as a whole, Revelation four here. I I love this this part of Revelation just for the fact that we get that glimpse of heaven. And so rarely do we in Scripture. That I think there's only four times, if I remember correctly, Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and now here in Revelation. So the only New Testament version vision of heaven is here. And what that pulls us to, and what that reminds us of, of a God who is in control. And I think in a day like today, um, at a time such as this. That's a, a wonderful reminder to us that as we pull back out of this, we see a God who sits on the throne, who is in control of creation, who has everything um, in his hands and loves his people and his world. And that's something we take comfort in when everything seems to be chaotic around us. Amen and amen. Thank you very much, brother. Great to have you on. God's peace be with you and with your people. Thank you. You as well. And God's blessings to you this day and every day. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Jacob Heine, pastor at Christ the Rock Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois. Moving on to Revelation 5 next time. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. 
Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.